This is a Federal News Network podcast. Recently, the Office of Special Counsel revealed that several members of the Trump administration had violated the Hatch Act. It happens in every administration, but maybe not to that extent. The law prevents political activity by appointed and career federal employees while on the job. My next guest says the Office of Special Counsel should have greater statutory authority to go after Hatch Act violators. Bob Tobias is professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University, and he joins me now. And, Bob, it's safe to say that Hatch Act violations really get to the heart of what can go wrong or, or harm civil service, doesn't it? It does. I mean, the Hatch Act, which was you know, enacted in 1939, forbids federal employees from, quote, interfering with an election or affecting the result, close quote. And as you indicated, the Office of Special Counsel found two former departmental secretaries and 11 other high-level political appointees from the Trump administration to have violated the Hatch Act. However, they didn't suffer any penalty. That amounts to almost wholesale violation with that many people in a given administration. I mean, there's always one or two each time around, but it seems more systemic that time. Well, yes. And if they were not Senate confirmed or high level political appointees, the Office of Special Counsel could have administered penalties up to and including discharge. But with respect to Senate confirmed and high level political appointees, the Office of Special Counsel is prohibited from taking action and has to refer the cases to the sitting president. And although former President Trump had more people in his administration who committed Hatch Act violations than any prior administration, no action was taken by the president against any of those who violated the Hatch Act. But President Trump is in very good company. The fact is no prior president has ever taken action against a person in his administration who violated the Hatch Act. Yeah. So we often see reports from the Office of Special Counsel detailing what happened to regular federal career employees when they violated the Hatch Act. They pay fines, they have suspensions, and in some cases are let go. And so we know what's possible for them, but for the political ones, then they kind of get off with just the uh, embarrassment of having it revealed. Yeah, they get to skate. And if you look at the congressional goal of the Hatch Act when it was enacted, it was to prevent the creation, quote, of a powerful, invincible, and perhaps corrupt political machine within the federal government who might interfere or affect the result of an election. Now, I think, Tom, we can say pretty clearly that this goal is no less important today than it was in 1939. Well, in some ways, maybe it's more important because I don't know how polarized things were back in 1939. Probably pretty bad. I mean, Roosevelt did engender strong reactions on both sides. But I think it's safe to say that since the Civil War, the country's never been more divided politically than it is right now. Yeah, I think that's right. And departmental secretaries and high-level political appointees have the greatest power to create a political machine within the federal government. And I don't believe they should be able to violate the law with impunity. We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He is a professor at the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And there are things that perhaps federal career managers can do, maybe advise politicals, hey, you know, not a great idea. 
In fact, I knew a political appointee in the Bush administration who wanted to do some campaign work, so he used vacation time and got out of Dodge and did it on his personal time, which I believe is allowed. But he had heard from some people there that, no, you can't do this kind of thing while you're on the job. Well, you have to want to comply with the Hatch Act. Then you ask questions or you listen to what people have to say. There was a quote in the report about Mark Meadows, who is the White House chief of staff, who said that the Hatch Act is really only important to people inside the Beltway. And I think that that is wrong. I think it's dead wrong. And the special counsel needs to be able to enforce actions against Hatch Act violators. Yes, because all employees, but certainly most visibly, the cabinet-level employees do take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. They don't take an oath to protect and defend the candidacy of the person that appointed them. You know, I think that's really right on the mark, Tom, and often overlooked. All federal employees take the same oath of office. All should be treated in the same manner when they violate the Hatch Act. Some shouldn't be able to get off because they're Senate-confirmed or high-level political appointees. All right, so then the law does not provide for that, so that would be then Congress's job to change that? It would, and I really believe that Congress ought amend the uh, Hatch Act to enable the Office of Special Counsel to initiate action against any federal employee who violates the Hatch Act, including Senate-confirmed and high-level political employees. And there probably would not be a constitutional issue there because the Office of Special Counsel exists within the executive branch. Absolutely. And Bob, just to switch gears while we have you, the president's management agenda came out days ago, or what they call the vision for the management agenda. And it's less detailed in some ways than earlier management agendas, which went after information technology and very arcane parts of what the government should be doing. This was a much broader brush picture. What's your assessment of it? Well, I think that in order to really measure performance, the plan needs to be more specific. I think that members of the public really want to know how well government performs. And the only way that that can happen is if performance is measured and it's put on a website and people can see it and people can comment on it. But in order to make that happen, it has to be sufficiently specific to be measured. And the other issue is it does do a lot of good in terms of elevating the federal job situation. That is, federal jobs should be good jobs. Federal employees should be supported in every way possible so that they can be enabled to do great jobs. And nobody could disagree with that. The prior administration put a lot of emphasis on accountability of individuals, making it easier. They hoped that they only partially succeeded in being able to fire people more quickly. And this latest PMA from the Biden administration makes no mention of that. Somehow that seems to call for some balance, I think. You don't want to have it a totally negative management agenda saying how we want to get rid of the fast ones and that's our agenda. But on the other hand, you don't want to say let's elevate everybody, but yet leave out the accountability part. Seems like there should be a middle ground there. Well, I think if indeed agencies are held to improving performance, that concomitantly they're going to be holding people accountable for their individual performance that contributes to the overall goal. So I think it's there, but it has to be more clearly articulated. Because it does reference the engagement scores of government and the perception of government by the public, which tend to lag the private sector. And one of the issues that comes up in the engagement scores every year is that federal employees don't feel like the poor performers are dealt with sufficiently. 
Well, that's correct. And I think that needs to be attended to. I don't think it's right to say, well, others don't know who we're focused on and so forth. But people know when others are held accountable and uh, it has to be attended to. And it has to be attended to at every single level. If I'm a supervisor and I'm not accurately evaluating you and just passing you on, I too am not being held accountable. So this accountability issue is something that goes from the top to the bottom. All right. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. As always, good to have you on. Thank you very much, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but 
uh, the quality that that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and 
reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.